Welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary Podcast. We're continuing our Advent series, A Light in the Darkness. Today, Pastor Jason Coker shares a teaching from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14, titled, Call Him Emmanuel. Aside from my attempt to be funny, I just wanted to add a bit to that last announcement. Those of you who have been here for a while, longer than Janelle and I, Janelle and I have been here for four years. If you've been here for four or five years or longer, you might remember that there was a time when every week we had a coffee house on Thursday night, and the purpose of the coffee house was to create a space where local musicians who weren't a part of this church and maybe even weren't Christians could come and showcase their talents and sort of show off uh, their abilities. And it became a space for us to create sort of a, a friendly and safe space for people to be creative. Being creative is incredibly vulnerable. It's really, really difficult. And so like even what you saw the kids do up here this morning is incredibly vulnerable for anybody to stand up in front of a crowd and do something like that. Well, part of our vision at this church is not just that we would exist for our own sake, but that we would exist for the sake of this community. And part of that means opening this space up to host other people from the neighborhood and from the community to begin to explore their giftings. And so just like we did the coffee house at one time and we had lots of local musicians come, Alex really tapped into that vision and asked, what are some of the other ways that people are being creative in this community in ways that are really uh, effective and helpful for connecting people in new relationships and maybe even ways for God to show what God is doing through that creativity? Believe it or not, comedy is a creative endeavor and extraordinarily vulnerable. And so I think it's really brave of Alex to put this together. We think it's an amazing opportunity for our church to be a space that hosts a kind of alternative for New Year's Eve. Uh, You know, there isn't going to be like alcohol here. It's not going to be like a blowout party where people like go home driving drunk or something like that. It's a way for us to host the space uh, that allows people to express their creativity in a way that we think is really redemptive. So please know that that's why we're doing this. That's how it makes sense to us. But also know that when you come here, you're not going to be hearing Christian comedians. So, you know, we have screened these comedians to make sure that they aren't uh, sharing things that are racially offensive or in any way inappropriate, but they're not going to be telling Christian jokes. So, so please know that when you come here, if you want to hear amazing like, you know, gut-splitting Christian jokes, that's why you have me. And, and there you go. See, you all laughed. So I must be, I must be good at this. So that's, that's how this makes sense for our mission. Increasingly, this, this church is becoming a host space for the neighborhood so that people can see that there's a thriving community here doing good stuff. And so that's why we're doing it. Today, we're going to jump into our last Advent sermon. Today is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. The Advent theme for today, as you had heard earlier, is love. And so I'm going to ask that you just pray with me as we jump into this teaching so that I can hopefully make a little bit of sense. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you, to lift up our voices, to read your scripture Uh, to sing songs, to express our faith, to become people who are shaped by the hope of your coming so that we can become more like you, so that we can become people of love. 
Father, I ask that as we uh, gather around this final passage to prepare for Christmas, that you would shape us by the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14 is our last Advent reading for the Advent season. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, that's okay. It's going to be right up on the screen here. Let's read through that together and then talk a little bit about what's going on in this passage. Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 10, this was part of our reading earlier today, says this, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Now I want to pause there just for a moment and remind you, a few weeks ago we talked about Hezekiah, uh, the ancient king of Judah. Hezekiah is one of the great kings in the history of Judah. In fact, many people in the Jewish tradition believe that Hezekiah was a kind of precursor to the Messiah, or some even believe that Hezekiah had the opportunity to become the Messiah. That's how powerful and how effective Hezekiah was as the king. Hezekiah's father was Ahaz. And Ahaz was everything Hezekiah wasn't. Ahaz was an evil king in Judah's history. Ahaz even offered Hezekiah up as a burnt offering to the gods of the tribes that were around them. And so Ahaz is sort of one of those classic evil uh, kings of Judah who did not obey God. And so this passage is all about Ahaz and Ahaz's denial of what God is going to offer by way of hope and redemption and love. So let's go ahead and pick it up again. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask anything of God and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Can you imagine if God said to you through another person, ask whatever you want of me. In fact, it can be as deep as the pit of hell or as high as the heights of heaven, and I will give it to you. This is the opportunity that Isaiah presents to Ahaz. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Continuing on, verse 14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Now, this last verse about Emmanuel is very familiar to us as Christians, but the rest of this is a little bit strange, and it can be hard, I think, for us to sort of wrap our brains around what's happening here because for the most part, we tend not to be all that familiar with Jewish history, even if we read through these passages. The book of Isaiah coincides with the book of 2 Kings, so a lot of what's happening in this portion of Isaiah is also told in 2 Kings. There's this incredible history going on behind this particular passage. So let me give you a little bit of that history if I can. For those of you who watched Game of Thrones, this will sound very familiar to you because that is essentially what's happening here. You have four kingdoms in the ancient Near East who are at odds with each other. And those kingdoms are Judah and Israel, which are the two halves of the people of God who separated from each other because of internal conflict. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And the king of Israel, which is the other split-off half of the people of God, has been trying to essentially 
become the stronger king. So they're at odds with each other. The king of Israel goes to one of their neighbors, essentially modern-day Syria, and says, hey, help me conquer Judah so that our two kingdoms can finally be reunited. So, so that's why I said it's a little bit like Game of Thrones. That's exactly what's going on. You have two internal kingdoms, kingdoms that are related to each other, essentially family by blood who are at odds with each other. And the one, you could say the one brother, goes to a friend, a neighboring kingdom, and says, help me attack my brother Ahaz so that we can conquer that kingdom and our two kingdoms can be reunited again. So that's the backstory here. You have Israel and an outside king, coming to attack Ahaz and Judah. Now that's unpacked a little bit before verse 10. Now Ahaz is frightened by this. Ahaz is terrified, as are all the people in Jerusalem. And so he calls upon Isaiah, who is essentially the resident prophet at this time. He calls upon Isaiah to come and help him out. And that's where we jump into this passage. Isaiah comes before Ahaz during this time of terrible political and military threat, Israel comes before Ahaz and he says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. In fact, ask anything you like. Now, this whole idea of a sign has a little bit of a context, so I want to back up a little bit so that you can catch a glimpse of a little bit more detail of what's happening here. So I'm just going to back up and I'm going to ask you, just to listen to what this says. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, In the days of Ahaz, son of Joam, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, when the house of David heard that Aram had allied himself with Ephraim, that's Israel and Syria, then the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. So when the people of Judah heard that Israel had allied with Syria, they were all afraid, including Ahaz. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Sheir Jahab, at the other end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field, and say to him, now listen to this, this is important, say to him, take heed, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let anyone or your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Because of their fierce anger and of the son of Ramaliah, because Aram has plotted evil against you. So this is right before this passage. Isaiah is told by God to bring his son, Shear Jashab, out to meet Ahaz. Now that's important because that name, that Hebrew name, Shir Jahab, means, when it's translated, a remnant shall return. Now here's what is hard for us sometimes to understand as modern day Americans, but this is a common practice, especially for Isaiah. When God wants to get a message to God's people, God will often send, wait for it, a child. And that child's name is often named specifically with a message for God's people. And so when God tells Isaiah, take your son, whose name is 
a remnant shall return and go tell Ahaz, I know you're being attacked by Israel. I know you're being attacked by Syria, but they're just two smoldering stumps. In other words, they burn hot, right? And they're full of fire and smoke, but nothing's going to come of it. Go and bring your son whose name is a remnant shall return. The idea here is that the presence of this child represents a promise from God, a sign from God, that no matter what the threat is, no matter how fearful it might actually be, God is there present to make sure that the people of God will always be okay. Now, for those of you who have ever had children, it makes sense to you when I say that oftentimes in Scripture, children are a sign of hope. Because that's exactly what's happening here. A child is being brought to a king, and that child's name literally means, don't worry, whatever happens now, no matter how bad it ever gets, a remnant shall return, I will preserve my people, everything in the long run is going to be okay. And for those of you who've had kids, you know that in a very real sense, that's what you feel when you have children. We tend to feel two simultaneous things when our babies are born. One is incredible terror that like the worst possible things could happen to them. Like, oh my goodness, look how fragile they are. Look how careful we have to be with them. And the other, of course, is, oh, this child is going to outlast me if I take care of it. There is hope for the future. This is why we put so much care and love and concern into our children, because they literally represent a hope for our future, even after we die. Janelle and I experienced a sense of that terror and that hope simultaneously with the birth of our second daughter, Judah. And apologies to Judah, because she's here today. And she didn't know that I was going to tell this story. But that's just the price you pay when you have a father who's a pastor. So, or a mother who's a pastor for that matter. Judah came along at a time in our lives when we were terribly heartbroken because several years after the birth, birth of our first child, Janelle experienced a miscarriage. And I can't tell that story because I will cry. Which I know is so cliche for like, white pastors to stand up in front of churches and cry. But really, we were heartbroken and didn't think we were ever going to have another child again after that miscarriage. But then, about nine months later, uh, really, more like six months later after the miscarriage, uh, Janelle was praying and she came to me and she said, God told me we're going to have another child. This is not a joke. Janelle told me this. Janelle's like this, by the way, if you didn't know. She said, God told me in my prayer time that we're going to have another child and we should name it Judah. And me being me, there's Janelle out there. She doesn't know I'm telling this story either. So, shh. So, me being who I am, I said, okay. And she said, no, I'm serious. God told me. God told me that we would have another child when he gave me a name. And that name is Judah. 
And sure enough, uh, soon thereafter, she became pregnant. I don't know how. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it was incredibly exciting. It was thrilling. It was hopeful. It was everything that we were longing for after the loss of that miscarriage. And then uh, not too long into the pregnancy, Janelle started to have problems. Uh, we went in for prenatal checkups, and they found that Judah in the womb was not growing or moving the way that she was supposed to, that she was failing to thrive in the womb, and they didn't know why. And so, like, all the alarm bells went off, and all of the protocols kicked in, and the next thing you know, we're at the, the prenatal uh, uh, department at the uh, hospital in Utah where we were at the time, and every single week we were there getting sonograms and ultrasounds and they were buzzing, you know, Judah through Janelle's belly with this like device that makes this horrible buzzing sound to try to stimulate her movement. And they were saying, you know, hopefully she can make it long enough in the womb that we could perhaps deliver her and she would be okay. And, and we were immediately struck with all that fear. And I... I'm sure that it was Janelle, because she's a better person than I am, said, no, this is not going to happen again. And so we prayed, and we turned to our community, our church, and they prayed, and we did our very best to like conjure up whatever it is that we call faith and believe that this was going to be okay. And we kept going back to the hospital week after week and they kept buzzing Judah in the womb and they kept saying she doesn't have nearly enough amniotic fluid and there are going to be long-term effects and hopefully she'll be developed enough that we can deliver her before she's really ready, but you know, ready enough that we can remove her. And we were terrified and hopeful all at the same time. And then uh, Judah was okay. She was delivered. And uh, immediately came out of the womb, shaking her fist at us and telling us how wrong we were about everything. <laughs> and she's been that way ever since. End of sermon. Amen. She was more than okay, she was perfect. And they first pulled uh, Judah out of the womb and she was plenty big enough and had all her fingers and all her toes and all the nurses and doctors were saying this doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, the placenta was delivered and it was calcified and hard and they were saying, I don't know how this child could receive nourishment from this placenta. It doesn't make any sense. That was our miracle. It's our miracle story. It still is to this day. But I have to tell you, in retrospect, looking back on that now... I'm not so much struck by the miracle that Judah was okay, although I'm grateful for that. Because I'm also very aware that that is not always the outcome. Oftentimes we pray and we stand in our faith and our community gathers around us and those child, children still don't make it. In fact, that maybe happens more often than not. When I look back, what I'm struck by now is not so much the miracle that Judah was okay, but the miracle that we were a part of a tradition of a people who gathered around the belief that whatever happened, it was going to be okay. To me, 
as the pastor of a church now, who is very aware that that kind of community is very, very fragile, that that is maybe the bigger miracle. But there were people gathered around us who believed, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Now, that choice to believe in the terror or the fear of what could happen on the one hand, or to believe on the other that whatever happens, it is going to be okay because this thing that we call God is at work in the universe. That is the choice that stands before Ahaz. A little more history, a little more backstory here. It's helpful to know that Isaiah presents this option to Ahaz. Isaiah comes before Ahaz and he says, I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. But here is my child whose name means that everything is going to be okay one day. And here I am to tell you that no matter how much these two stumps burn and smolder and smoke, it is going to be okay. But Ahaz is faced with a choice to either believe that, to believe that God is good, that all the resources in the world and the universe are available to him and to his people to be okay, or he can lean on his fear instead. And Ahaz says, no, I won't ask for that sign because I don't want to put the Lord God to the test. Now, put a pin in that just for a moment, because I just want to say that we very often hide our fear in piety. See, when Ahaz says, I don't want to put the Lord God to the test, he's pretending to be pious. He's pretending to be faithful. He's pretending to be a good religious person. But the truth is, he's really just afraid. And we know that because back in 2 Kings... Verse, excuse me, chapter 16, verse 5, gives us a little bit, a little bit more backstory to this. And here it is. It says, the, the kings of Israel and Syria came and besieged Jerusalem. I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. And at that time, the king of Edom recovered for Edom and drove the Judeans from Elath. And the Edomites came to Elath, where they live to this day. So a little bit of history there. And Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria. There's the fourth kingdom. I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. So here's, here's what's happening here, right? We had three kingdoms, the kingdom of Judea, where Ahaz is the king, he's under attack from the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria. And he calls upon Isaiah and says, what should I do? And Isaiah says, ask the Lord for another sign to reassure you that everything is going to be okay. And Ahaz says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, we know why he didn't do that. He didn't do that because rather than trust God, he went to a fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria, the really big bad threat in the area, the major military might in the region, and went to them and said, will you ally with me so that we can be protected from these people? See, Ahaz in his fear 
was given a choice. The choice was to believe that God had provided all the good things that they needed to be safe or to believe his fear. And what he chose to do was to believe his fear and go to the next nearest enemy and become their subjects. And so that's why he refused to take the sign from God. Because rather than trust God, he chose to trust his fear. And I think we all do that a lot. I think in our lives when we're faced with difficult situations, we have a choice, and that choice very often is to give into our fear or to believe that God has provided us with the resources that we need in order to thrive. When we give into our fear, like Ahaz does, we tend to try to take charge, take control of the situation, and use force to bring about the result that we want. But when we have faith in God, we tend to lean on the resources that God has given us. The trouble is, God's resources don't look like military might. They don't look like defeating our enemies the way that we want our enemies to be defeated. God's expression of power is not violence or force. God's expression of power is love. It's love and community and trust in what's good and right. Now, don't tell me that you've never had a time in your life when you were afraid and you could see what was right, you could see what was good, you could see what you should do, but a voice in your head said, that's just not realistic, Jason. That might be what's good, but it, it won't get the job done. That might be what I know is the right thing to do, but I can solve this problem right now by just regulating a bit, right, with a little bit of force, a little bit of violence. That might not be physical violence. It might be a different kind of violence. But that is generally the choice that we're faced with. We either trust in the power that God offers us, with the, which is the power of love and community and faith, or we take the bull by the horns and we solve the problem ourselves. And usually that solution leads to more problems, which is, of course, what happens here. Isaiah is very frustrated with Ahaz, and he says, therefore, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a son. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. And so this brings us to the passage that for us as Christians is very familiar. What this means is that even though Ahaz chose not to trust in God, chose not to trust God's promises, chose not to trust 
that all the good things that he needed were provided to him by God, Isaiah said, even though you don't trust it, that sign is still going to be given and that sign is going to be another child and that child's name is going to have special meaning too. That child's name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And this is what I find incredibly scandalous about this passage. What Isaiah is saying, what God is saying through Isaiah, through the prophecy of this child, Emmanuel, is that even though you don't trust God, even though you've chosen fear, even though you've chosen to walk away from God's invitation to partner with you, God has not abandoned you. You may not believe it. You may not be feeling it. You might even make the wrong choice. But in spite of your unbelief, in spite of your giving into fear, that child is still born. And that child represents everything that is good about God. God is with us. We're not, not going to talk today about the miracle of a child that is born to represent God's presence among us. That's, that's for Tuesday night. I hope you'll come on Tuesday night. And we're going to talk about the miracle of the, of the baby that is God manifest. But for now, what we have is the promise. The promise that this sign means that God is with us. That God is with you. That God is with me. In spite of my suffering, in spite of my fear, in spite of my tendency to want to take the bull by the horns and solve problems in my own way, using my own force, using my own means, in spite of all that, God is still faithful even though I am not. God is with you. Do you believe it? Even if you don't, God is with you. That is one powerful expression of the gospel. Wherever you go, whatever you do, however much you fail, however much you fear, none of that has anything to do with God's faithfulness. God is with you. God is with us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather around your words to gather around your gospel, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us with this sign that there is a child coming whose name is Emmanuel, whose birth in the world is a sign that no matter how difficult things might become, no matter how hopeless things might seem, that you are present, that you are here, that you are wor at work in the world in ways that we cannot understand in ways that we can't fathom. I pray that you would build in us the faith that we need to lean on you, that when things become difficult or fearful or painful or unjust, that we would lean into your promises that you are good and that you are bringing about good things through your great love for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.